Good afternoon, good evening, good night. <laughs> uh, thank you for taking time with me. For those of you that may not know who I am, I'm Aaron Tomlinson, and I was a pastor for many, many years. I was in Christian ministry, preacher, since I was 19 years old. And about uh, five years ago, well, yeah, that's not fair to say. About 12 years ago, I, I began to really question things and work through things, began to study harder and open my mind. But about four years ago, I had this incredible, uh, really supernatural sort of awakening experience that absolutely changed my life. It was completely profound. And uh, <clears throat> out of that, I was I escaped Christianity, frankly, just to be honest with you, but discovered uh, spirituality and life and God and uh, just uh, have found so much more peace and joy and love. Uh, since that time, and so I've been doing things to share that with people and look forward to doing some things more in the future. I'm also, uh, I have d three degrees. I have a degree in theology, <clears throat> a degree in psychology and clinical mental health counseling. I'm a licensed professional counselor in the state of Colorado. Um, so if you're just jumping on, I'm kind of giving my uh, pedigree to anybody that may be watching that hasn't seen this. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, friend requests in the last uh, few days. So anyway, I probably owe Barbara Simons for that because she shared one of my videos and uh, had a bunch of <clears throat> people jumping on. So I just kind of wanted to introduce myself. Got some people jumping on this morning. Good to see everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. I'm doing great. I got to be honest with you. I had a great week. I had a great weekend. Uh, I have a testimony to share. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to get to that and share the testimony. But before I do that, um, or, or as part of the teaching, you, if you look in the um, I don't know, status space, whatever you call it. Uh, I think I put in there, we're going to talk about Lucifer, myths, lies, and liberty. And <clears throat> so I want to I deal with the Lucifer thing first. Those of you that have been following me, you've heard this before, so it's not going to be anything new in terms of content or information, but I think it's important to keep bringing some of this stuff out. And I want to, I, I have a couple purposes with this today. The first purpose is, is I want to eliminate, or I want to, I want to invite you, let's do it this way. I want to invite you to put your thinking caps on. And if you're a Christian watching this, or you have questions about Christianity, um, particularly if you come out of charismatic Pentecostal or really evangelical places, fundamentalist places where you believe that uh, there is a devil that's ruling over the world, that he's got little minions that are running around trying to deceive people and that you're afraid of a great falling away that's going to happen at the end. I want to invite you to listen and I'm going to use a lot of scripture for you today. But I want to just suggest, what if, what if the world, as you know it, is upside down? Uh, in other words, what, what, if, what if there is something, I don't know what it is, but there is something out there that puts a veil over our eyes or puts a veil over our hearts so that we cannot see the truth, so that we are deceived. But what if the deception is not what we think? What if it's actually reversed? What if, what if the world is kind of upside down or opposite of what we've been told? And by this I mean, what if... <clears throat> what we think promises us liberty, liberty, freedom, is really enslaving, puts us into slavery, puts us into chains, puts us into bondage, and takes our lives down. And what if some of those things that we thought were dangerous and going to lead us astray actually have the power to break that slavery and break those bonds and liberate us and set us free? And so that's kind of what I want to talk about. And so let's just let's uh, let's just think about the Bible. Now, when I was a fundamentalist Christian, it was easy for me. I I, I didn't have to think. Uh, life was generally easy because I decided to give up my will and my decisions to God, to Jehovah God, or to Jesus. Made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And uh, and I did that simply by praying a prayer. And I was very sincere and I was very committed. I remember being 18 years old and. Uh, my my friend that had taken me to uh, a Petra concert, I don't know how many of you out there are old enough to remember Petra, uh, it took me to a Petra concert, and at that time, Josh McDowell, uh, he's kind of like the evangelical favorite uh, apologist, was speaking, and Josh McDowell was speaking about the Bible, and he was he was speaking like an intellectual, and he made sense, and to be honest with you, I was coming out of a season of trauma, I was heartbroken, I was hurting, I was lonely, 
I had a lot of emotional needs that I was trying to get met and didn't know how to get them met. Um, I'd lost a lot of friends from stuff that had happened. And so I was hurting. And so this message that Jesus would come and heal my broken heart, that Jesus would meet my needs, that I could have a relationship with him and all this was very attractive to me. I was very drawn to it. And I remember my friend, uh, you know, we were talking about Bible and stuff because I came out of the Methodist church. We believed in Jesus. We, we sang songs around the campfire at church camp to Jesus, but <clears throat> we didn't, uh, we didn't get deeply into the Bible. And I remember my friend telling me, well, Aaron, you know, if, if you're going to do this thing, Christianity, he says, you got to take all of it or don't take any of it. And so I became convinced. I studied apologetics, Norman Geisler, uh, Josh McDowell. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, some of the others out there, some of the, that are a little bit better thinkers, uh, McDowell stuff is, is just, yeah, anyway, uh, easily, uh, proven to not, I mean, he makes a lot of logical fallacies. Anybody that's a critical thinker, uh, can kind of go through his stuff and see, yeah, yeah, you're, you're selling a bill of goods. Um, but there's others out there that are deeper thinkers and a little bit better at apologetics, I think. And, I, and so I read all that stuff. I, I listened to Christian radio. I watched Christian television. I, I, and I, I would sit and read the Bible for six, seven, eight hours a day. Um, at that time, you know, the charismatic movement was still going on. And so we came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. and We started experiencing gifts of spirit and all that kind of stuff. And, but, but my point is, I didn't have to think about issues in life because I'd made up my mind that I was going to make Jesus the ruler of my life. And really what that meant was, because Jesus, let, let's be honest, where is Jesus? If, if you're going to make Jesus the ruler of your life, and if he's going to uh, heal your heart and lift up your emotions and, and all this stuff, where is he? You can't see him. You can't really sit down and talk to him. The best you can do is a voice or thoughts that are running through your head. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm not downplaying that. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just being honest. How do you have a relationship with someone that you cannot see? Well, someone says, well, you do it by faith. Great. Okay. How do you do that by faith? You just believe that that, that, that God is up there? And see, that's the problem. That's what we're told. Just take it by faith. So that's what we do. We suspend our intellect. We suspend our critical thinking. We don't engage life the way that life can be engaged. We don't adapt and we don't adjust. Because for me, like the only way to have a relationship with Jesus, the only concrete thing or objective thing that I had was the scriptures, was the word of God, what we call the word of God. And so I said, this is the word of God. I believe every statement. I will obey every commandment and I will claim every promise. And I endeavored to do that. I lived my life for, gosh, 25 years or more that way. And I was very committed, very dedicated. And But see, here's the thing. I didn't have to think. I didn't have to make decisions because in my mind, the Bible had already made the decisions for me. Um, I, I didn't have to think about whether or not I wanted to do something. I didn't have to think about what was going to make me happy. I didn't have to do anything to go inside. And this was reinforced through the Christian community. I don't know how many of you remember Rick Warren when he came out with his book, The Purpose Driven Everything. Remember that? I mean, it's such a marketing scheme. The Purpose Driven Everything. The Purpose Driven Life. The Purpose Driven Church. The Purpose Driven Family. The Purpose Driven... You remember that stuff? And in the beginning of his book on the purpose driven life, he says, whatever you do, do not go within. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Don't go within. Make sure you want to, if you want to lead the Christian life and you want God to, uh, to be pleased with you, then you've got to follow the book. You've got to follow the Bible. And so I did that. I did everything I could. And my message, listen, I didn't preach uh, like hellfire and damnation. I don't know if I ever preached one sermon on hell. Now, somebody out there that's real fundamentalist is going to say, see, see, see. Um, but I just, I knew that message wasn't effective. So in my heart, I wanted to reach people. And so I figured the goodness of God, like Romans said, leads people to repentance. So I would go out and I would try to... Um, uh, witness to people and I would preach messages and, 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 uh, try to convince people that Jesus was good and get them to follow God out of the goodness of Jesus. And, you know, you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you're going to have abundant life and all this stuff. And so my message was who you were in Christ. That's what I preached. I preached Ephesians. I preached Paul's revelation of who you were in Christ above all else. So what I was literally doing when I was doing that was I was handing people an identity that came from a book, that came from another person's revelation. And I was saying, if you want to grow, you want to have abundant life, you want to be pleasing to God, you've got to conform yourself. You've got to renew your mind, conform your thinking, alter your personality, alter who you are to fit this 
what this book prescribes or describes as who a person is in Christ. Anybody know what I'm talking about out there? <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about out there? And, uh, and so I did that, you know, for a lot of years, but I got to a place and here's what happened. And there are so many out there that this resonates with, cause I've talked to so many of you who've experienced the same thing at some point through this process, I had to wake up and realize I feel like a robot. I feel like a mechanical person who's just going through the motions. I literally really felt like the tin man from the wizard of Oz. I felt like the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. I had no connection to my heart. I was not emotionally connected to life. Life was predictable and boring. Uh, I had lost a lot of connection to people. I didn't know how to relate to people because when you close off your heart, you have no emotional intelligence. How can you know what someone else is thinking and feeling and be empathic and be compassionate towards them if you are disconnected from your own heart and you don't know what you're even thinking or feeling because you gave up your right to think and feel. And that's the point, gang. I gave up my right to think and to feel and to make choices and to live my life to a book. To a book. I said to God, I said to Jesus, but ultimately it was to a book. I would follow a book. And so what happens is it results in this mechanical, really sort of disconnected, unintegrous living. And by unintegrity, here's what I mean. I mean that you can be feeling something in your heart, feeling something, wanting to go a certain direction or do something, but it's forbidden for you. So rather than being honest about where you're at, you conform yourself to a book or you conform yourself to a group. You find people of like minds. And you get into that groupthink thing that we talked about last week where you're conforming. You, you don't want to step outside the boundaries. You don't, uh, if you do step outside the boundaries, somebody slaps your hand and tells you to get back in. Uh, we have whole systems that create for people, uh, spiritual inferiority complexes or spiritual superiority complexes. So in other words, the ones that are in authority, the ones that have studied, they're the ones that can tell us what to think and feel and how to live, and we just need to obey their authority and all that stuff, right? So I don't know where you come from, but I'm just trying to share with you a little bit about my life. And so the point is I gave up my freedom. <laughs> I gave it up, right? And, uh, and, and that, but see, here's the thing, gang, that was supposed to lead me to abundant life. That was supposed to lead me. I, I would read things in the Bible. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Well, my life was pretty decent. I had a good salary. I was traveling a lot. I had respect. I had preaching and speaking opportunities. Our church had just won, uh, best place of worship in Pueblo two years in a row. Uh, we had just bought it. We had just bought a new building. Um, I mean, you know, in, in my time in ministry in 20, 18 years, we've, we've, we've paid off two buildings. We bought and paid off two buildings and property. How many churches that started with nothing, no backing from anybody could say anything like that. And so what I'm saying is, is that things were going really good, but emotionally I was disconnected. There was, there was no life. I didn't feel connected to God. And so I started to ask a lot of questions. And finally I had this experience in 2016 that woke me up and I realized that it was all uh, a farce. It was all an illusion. So I know it's hard to penetrate that illusion for people who have surrendered themselves to those powers and have, and are in the place that I was. I know that it's hard, but I'm going to use the Bible today and talk about Lucifer, going to talk about Leviathan, going to talk about energies and freedom. And I want to, part of my purpose in doing this is to set you free from this idea that, that Lucifer, like you think of Lucifer, exists. That the devil, like you think of the devil, exists. So let me ask you this question. If you believe in the devil, if you believe in Jesus, how do you know to believe in Jesus? Well, most people, if they're honest, they have to get it from the scriptures. Now, you could say I had experiences, which I did. You could say, uh, you know, a lot of different things. Uh, Jesus was with me through a tough time. I would have said the same thing. Uh, Jesus worked miracles in my life. I would have said the same thing. Jesus healed my, my, uh, kids. You know, my, my son was delivered from a spirit of fear in a, in a, in a Christian meeting, uh, completely delivered and set free from it. And, and we can point to all those experiences, but the bottom line is, is that if we're honest, the only way we even know Jesus existed today is because of the Bible and because tradition that's been passed down for 2,000 years, right? So how do you know the devil exists? Well, I, 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 I saw a haunted house once. And not, not like Halloween haunted house. I mean like the real stuff. Um, you know, uh, 
where there's weird stuff going on in that house or uh i went through a deliverance myself or i prayed for somebody and they talked in a different voice i mean what what are some of these ways that you know that there's a devil let's be honest uh and if you are a good fundamentalist christian if you're a good one then you are out there saying the experience doesn't matter. This is what we tell people. Your experience doesn't matter, which basically is discounting your entire life. We are telling people your life doesn't matter. Your experience doesn't matter. We don't go by our experience. We don't go by our feelings. We don't go by what we think. We go by what the scripture says. We have a biblical worldview. And somehow out of that biblical worldview, you came up with a devil. And so I'm going to show today that that's complete and total bullshit. And if you are a fundamentalist, you cannot stay true to your fundamentalist principles and believe that the Bible anywhere teaches that Lucifer was a fallen, that the devil, that the devil that Jesus talks about and Satan that's in the Bible was uh, Lucifer, a fallen angel. That is a complete myth, and I'm going to prove it to you in just a minute. If you were to ask yourself, so here's what here's what we were taught. Here's what we were taught about Lucifer. Lucifer was this high angel, the devil. The devil was this high angel up in heaven. And some people say, and I'll show you why, that he was leading the worship in heaven. And he just got jealous of God. He just got jealous of God and decided that he was going to raise an attack against God. And so God kicked him out of heaven because God was threatened or whatever. God had to fight the war. And so he kicked him out of heaven, created a hell for the devil and his angels, and yet didn't put him in hell. Somehow gives him time to possess a serpent in the garden, to deceive Adam and Eve, to put us all in this mess to begin with, somehow to try to prove our free will, but then doesn't really deal with the devil. But he'll eventually deal with the devil, And but then it'll only be for a thousand years, then he'll let him out again. I mean, come on, guys. Think about some of this stuff. Now, here's where they get it. They get it from Isaiah chapter uh, 14. I'm fired up today. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 14 uh, says here, this is the verse, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And then he says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the earth, or to the lowest depths of the pit, sorry. Those who see you and gaze at you and consider you saying, I'm going to save that. So 15. So, so here's the thing. So Lucifer, son of the morning. So here's a guy that was trying to exalt himself, not above God. That's a lie. We were told that he attacked God. That's not the case. He did not try to exalt himself above God. He exalted himself right here. It says above the stars of God. Above the stars of God. Now, that's an important point. But as a result, Lucifer is cast down. Now, I was taught that you take the Bible literally. You take the Bible literally as it is unless unless there's a reason to take it metaphorically. So, for example, if the Bible says... The Lord is my shepherd. We know that he is not our shepherd, so that is metaphoric. But otherwise, you take it literally. But the other thing I was taught was that you take it in context. You take it in context. This was drilled into us. Context, context, context. So let's take this passage in context. Is Isaiah talking about some prehistoric battle that happened in heaven and some spirit that suddenly now has become Satan and the devil and is going around and deceiving people? Well, if you take it in context, you have to uh, realize that he is talking here to the king of Babylon. In verse 3, it starts out, uh, where or, I'm sorry, verse 4, he says, he's talking to Isaiah. He says, you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say... So a proverb is, first of all, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wisdom saying that's already kind of in existence. Now, here's what most people don't know about the Bible. The Bible did not come in a vacuum. God did not just come down and write it from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, it's not even a book. It is a library of books. 
It is a library of books that is put together by people in the 4th century who decided what was inspired text and what was not inspired text to support the authority of the Catholic Church. So all you Protestants that, that are sola scriptura, the scriptures alone, you have to at least acknowledge that the Bible that you have is a byproduct of the 4th century Catholic Church. What in the world? How did people get saved and delivered? And how did they know Jesus and follow Jesus for the first, for the, the first four centuries after he supposedly lived, died, and rose from the dead if they didn't have their Bibles? We're so into Bible idolatry today, we don't even think about that stuff. But nevertheless, if we take this in its... Uh, no, here's what I wanted to point out. The Bible steal It doesn't steal. How do I say this? It's born into an ancient Near Eastern matrix. A matrix of symbols and images and myth and worldview. And so everything that is in the scriptures is borrowing or referencing things that predate Abraham and things that predate Israel. And they're borrowing from the mythologies that are around them. The Genesis 1 account is in no way answering a modern person's question about the, the creation and how it happened and how long it took. It is, it is actually a retelling of an ancient Sumerian myth of creation. It's a, it's just a retelling of it. The names are the same. Listen, Yahweh archaeologists and anthropologists know that Yahweh was originally a Canaanite god before the Jews started to worship Yahweh. El was a Canaanite god. You, you had a pantheon of gods. The Old Testament is not even monotheistic. You had a pantheon of gods. And, and, and Yahweh became the god of Israel. And the best historians and the best archaeologists and the best and most objective and most honest biblical scholars out there tell us that there is the, 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 the Jews were really a Canaanite tribe. And, and there is absolutely no archaeological evidence whatsoever, not one shred of archaeological or historical evidence for Moses, for the Exodus, for the uh, uh, wanderings. There's none. And somebody will point to, oh yeah, well, biblical archaeology. And what they don't know is they're pointing to things that have been completely disproven and there is a consensus among archaeologists. I'm not talking fringe. I'm telling you people who try to tell you that there's archaeological evidence for the, 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 the genocides in uh, the promised land, for the walls of Jericho coming down. There were no walls of Jericho. That is the archaeological consensus. It is only the fringe element that has a confirmation bias and needs to maintain systems of control and power, particularly in the promised land and in Israel and the Israeli-Palestine conflict right now that, are, that, that, that uphold those kind of things. So what I'm trying to get you to understand is that they're borrowing. And this thing right here about Lucifer is not some new thing. And it's not a story about a prehistoric fall. They are borrowing from astrology. It is an astrological reference that, is, that tells a story from observing the stars. you got to understand that a lot of these myths that came about for ancient people came about because they would observe the movement of the stars and they didn't know what they were and they would tell the stories through the movement of the stars. And so there was a mythology that was created about what we know today as Venus. But in Hebrew, the term for the star Venus was Hel El. Hel El. I think I'm saying it right. H-E-Y-L-E-L -E is the transliteration. It's the, it's the planet Venus. And that's the word here for Lucifer. It is, it is not a name for an angel. It is a name for the planet Venus. And so it is the proverb, I said all that to say, it's the proverb, it's the story. God's telling Isaiah, borrow from the culture around you to prophesy in poetic language to the king of Babylon. So in the context, what's happening here in Isaiah 14 is not about an angel, it is not about a spirit, it is not about a devil, it's about a real man in real time and space. And that, that Isaiah is prophesying against and he's using the, an astrological principle to tell him you are like the planet Venus. And so here's the story. Here's the story. 
and you'll find this in several of the myths, that there was a pantheon of gods, and there was a chief god, and it depends on which uh, myth or which culture is telling the story, the name of that god. But there is a chief god, and there is another god that becomes jealous of the chief god and begins to try to rise up And as he rises up against the chief god and tries to set himself apart from the rest of the pantheon or exalt himself above the stars of God, then he gets, watch, descends. So people who are watching the trajectory of the stars realize that at night the stars are bright and as the moon passes through its cycles, the stars get brighter. So on the new moon, you see more stars than you do on a full moon. So only the brighter stars come out on the full moon, but on the new moon, some of the dimmer stars, you can see those as well. But they noticed that there was this one star in the morning, the morning star, that was so bright that it could compete with the sun. That in twilight, as the sun is coming up, you could see this star rising. But as the sun rose, what happened? Its light became dimmer. And as the earth made its trajectory and as Venus made its trajectory, what would happen is it would get closer and closer to the sun and then eventually it would fall farther and farther away. And so they looked at that and they began to tell a story because they thought that they were the gods. They thought that the sun was the chief god. And they, and they began to tell this story. And so uh, God, so whatever's happening here, Isaiah is just borrowing this story to tell this about... Um, the king of Babylon. I, I don't, time prevents me from going into Ezekiel 28, but they'll also take Ezekiel 28 and say that's about Lucifer as well. But that's a prophecy to the king of Tyre. Now, if we bring it back into its context, I just read to you verse 15, yet you, king of Babylon, shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest pits of the earth, lowest depths of the earth. Those who see you will gaze at you and will consider you saying, is this the man that made the earth tremble? Who shook the kingdoms? who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of the prisoners. Is this the man? And then he goes down into the grave. It's not talking about an angel. It's a lie. So you cannot have it both ways, fundamentalist Christian. You cannot sit there and say, I take a literal interpretation of the Scripture and I keep it in its context, 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 and then spiritualize it because it fits your narrative so you can scare the hell out of people and, 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 and keep and, and, and somehow promote a worldview that has no basis in reality, no basis in science, no basis in fact, and I'm showing you right here, absolutely no basis in the Scriptures. And I wouldn't be so upset about it if we weren't so dishonoring to everybody in their own journey. See, the reality is when I made the decision, I'm going to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and I'm going to follow the Bible. I'm going to quit thinking. I'm going to quit feeling. I'm going to quit making decisions. I'm going to, basically, I'm going to tell the Bible, I'm going to let the Bible tell me how to live. I'm going to let Jesus tell me how to live. The moment I did that, I surrendered myself into slavery. I surrendered myself into slavery. See, this picture that Christians have of God is this totalitarian being who demands that everybody do what he says is right, think like he thinks, walk like he wants you to walk, talk like he wants you to talk, so that we're all doing the same thing, and then it's our job to try to enforce that on the rest of humanity. And we give up our heart connection. We give up our independence. We give up our right to think. I hope that didn't mess things up. I need to remember to put this on Do Not Disturb. Ugh, frustrates me when I don't know somebody. Listen, if I don't know you, do not call me on Messenger. You have no right to call me if I don't know you. We've never messaged or whatever. Okay, I get off that. I'm too busy. <laughs> These, the, uh, yeah, you. People are so presumptuous. They don't even ask. All right, I'm getting off of that. I'm, I'm getting off my message here. Um... You see what I'm saying? So we surrender ourselves into slavery and then we want everybody else to surrender into the same slavery. To become enslaved by these gods. To become enslaved by these texts. But what I'd like to suggest to you is that we can still use the Bible in a profitable and beneficial way. And I still do. Because because it is full of myth. Because it's a rich story about the human journey. And because it's about Israel wrestling with God and wrestling with reality. We can pull things from it. One of the things that we can pull from it, one of the things we know about myth today from a psychological perspective and from a spiritual perspective is that it is full of archetypes. 
Archetypes are original patterns that govern and shape the thoughts of humanity. You cannot escape an archetype because an archetype is in the collective unconscious. It's part of what makes us human. And, and archetypes are powerful symbols that order our thinking, our believing, our feeling, and our lives. And you cannot escape archetypes. And so what I am suggesting is that Lucifer is an incredibly powerful archetype that you can draw upon in your consciousness to break the power and the bondage of enslaving powers that have kept humanity enslaved for thousands of years and prevented humanity from discovering that you are a star, that you have divine light and a divine spark within you. I'm going to suggest to you that the original message of Jesus was to look within and discover the, the, the discover that you are the offspring of God, that you are a child of God, that you are a son and a daughter of God, and that you have a unique soul code, you have a unique soul purpose, and that part of the spiritual journey is to break the bondages off your will and off your mind, to disentangle yourself from earthly powers and what Paul called principalities and powers, so that you, like Venus, could rise and let your light shine and announce that it is a new day, announce that the sun is... uh, uh, Announce that the darkness is passing, bringing light and announcing a new day. That's who Venus was. Venus was not an evil character later on in mythology. Venus was the torchbearer. Venus was the day spring. Venus was the declarer of a new day. Venus was the prophet of a new future. But in order to do that, you have to break what is binding you. You have to break the bondages and the mind controls and the earthly attachments and the earthly covenants and the earthly agreements. You have to quit surrendering your power to a book. You have to quit surrendering your power to a being outside yourself. You have to quit surrendering your power to your family or to people that are controlling you or are intimidating you. And that Lucifer saying, I am going to arise. (laughs) I will. It is a strong declaration that you are authorized by God to do what thou will, to do your true will, to do your true soul purpose, to let your true light shine, to rise up and break that stuff off. Ben, you get me in trouble. I just, I haven't been watching this because I've been preaching, but he says, burn your Bible. Stop it, Ben. You're getting me in trouble. (laughs) I'm kidding, brother. He said, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying that we should draw on Lucifer as an archetype. Listen to Jesus in Revelation 22, 16. You know the last thing Jesus says about himself? The last thing he says about himself? He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star. Who's the morning star? In Greek, it's phosphorus. In... in uh, Hebrew, it's Hillel. In Latin, it's Lucifer. So Jesus refers to himself as Venus. He refers to himself as the bright morning star. He's saying, I'm the archetype that is arising. If that's not bad enough, let me give you one more. And in the Latin translation, this the word here is actually Lucifer. What if I were to tell you that your Bible tells you in the New Testament to have Lucifer rise in your heart? What if I were to tell you that that's in your Bible? Come on, come on, fundamentalist Christian. Come on, biblical Christian. Come on, Christians with biblical worldviews. It's right here. Second Peter chapter... What chapter am I in? I think it's chapter 1. <laughs> yeah, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. He says, uh, and we have this prophetic word confirmed, which we do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Watch this. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises... In your heart. Until the day dawns and the morning star. Until the day dawns and Lucifer rises in your heart. Why does Lucifer need to rise in your heart? Because there's a power in that archetype. There's a power there that helps you to discover your true self. That helps you to rise.
that helps you. I'm not going to have time to get into Leviathan today. <laughs> I'm not going to have time to do that. But do you see it? Jesus is referred to as Lucifer. I, I'm telling you, the, the, the fundamentalist Christians in our country, when, when the new pope was installed, he was doing a liturgy and saying, Oh, hell, Lucifer, in the Latin, because he was reading from the scriptures and he was reading from the ancient, <clears throat> from the ancient uh, liturgies. And because it said Lucifer, they said, See, he's a devil worshiper. But the reality is, is that's a title that was assigned to Jesus. That's the last title Jesus gave of himself. And so here in Second Peter, you're being told to let Lucifer rise in your hearts. To grab onto the energetic system of that archetype and let it empower you to throw off the chains of slavery so that you can be a star that shines. So that you can do your true will. So here's, 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 here's the bottom line. If you think the Creator is threatened by you. you. You got another thing coming. If you think somehow he feels like you're stealing glory from him. If you think that somehow because, I mean, why would you think that he would create you this amazing being, make you a son and a daughter, and then try to enslave your thinking? Why would he put you in this life and say, don't have life, just, just, just trust the book? Now, I asked the question, I said, I said, how do you know Jesus? How do you know Jesus? So if you if it isn't from the book, then it's from some kind of subjective, mystical experience. You're seeing him in a vision or in a dream. You're hearing him. Maybe you're having experiences of a voice, inward voice, still small voice. Um, <clears throat> whatever the case may be, those subjective experiences. But what are those? Like I said, how do you have a relationship with someone you can't see? Well, you say, well, you see him with inner eyes. You see him uh, with the eyes of your soul. You see him on the inner planes, right? And and first of all, you have to admit then that that's your Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's your Jesus. Now, and that's okay. That's okay. That's better. Trust me. That's much better than doing this thing with Scripture. That you and and I'm sorry, but so many of you out there are completely biblically illiterate, and it's not your fault. And by biblically illiterate, I don't mean you don't know the Scriptures. I mean you don't know the matrix of the ancient Near East out of which it came. I mean you don't know the difference about the authorship of it. I mean you don't know the textual parts of it. And pastors and preachers and teachers aren't teaching these things. But there is absolute consensus among honest biblical scholars that the stuff in Genesis didn't happen, the stuff in Exodus didn't happen, and it's not even written by the same person. And you want proof of that? Go read the flood story. Go read about Noah's flood. And then you get back to me and you tell me, did it rain for 40 days or did it rain for 200 and some days? Did Noah take one pair of each animal or did he take seven pairs of clean animals and one pair of unclean animals? You tell me that because you can't reconcile the two stories because they're from two different authors. One uses Elohim, the other uses Yahweh, who were, who were uh, uh, tribal deities that the Bible is borrowing upon to tell the story. So if you think your Jesus, your vision of Jesus and stuff, go back to my life that I did on Egregores. Um, so I'm just, I, I told you I was going to share a testimony. So, um, so because, because we got to start ter- telling testimonies, guys. Because here's the thing that drives me nuts about Christianity. They act like they are the best thing since whatever. I mean, they act like they're the shit. Like, if you, if you give, like, you can come out, and if you just give, then you'll just have this wonderful life. And you'll just know Jesus. And they love to share the testimonies and stuff. And for every person that's, and, and then they'll, they'll, they'll be so condescending, because I can hear you thinking right now, well, you just haven't met Jesus. You don't know me. You don't know my experiences. I know me. I know my experiences. If I didn't meet Jesus, then Jesus is a son of a bitch because he was hiding from me. You know, the Bible says, seek and you shall find. So if I, if I wasn't finding the real Jesus, 
Well, why is he playing hide and seek with me? Answer me that question. Why is he playing hide and seek with me, but not with you? Why are you so special that you have this, oh, me and Jesus, me and my Jesus. God is so good until the end. And then he's going to kill everybody in blood. And, and then he's going to come back and he's going to, he's going to take vengeance on his enemies. And then the ones that didn't believe in him, they're going to go into eternal hellfire. But maybe I'll save them. Maybe I won't. But Jesus, he's so good. God is so good. He wants to control your life. He wants to tell you how to think. He wants to tell you how to talk and walk. He wants to disconnect you from your heart and your life and your experiences. That's what a lot of that egregore wants to do. And it's absolutely true. And for every person that's experiencing abundant life, 25 years as a pastor, there's pastors on this thread right now. Come on, Vanessa, let me hear from you. Come on, Doug Lynch, let me hear from you. Come on, Bishop Broadnax, let me hear from you. Come on, Derek Day, let me hear from you. Come on, Kyle Butler, let me hear from you. Those are just the ones I can rattle off the top of my head. Pastors and leaders, come on, Gary Ellis, let me hear from you. How many people are struggling with questions about God? And yeah, they can float around on clouds for a little bit of while, deceiving themselves with their own so-called mystical experiences because they think they're happening with a being that is other than them. And I'm going to tell you right now, that Jesus that you're meeting in your mystical experience is not it is not the Jesus of 2,000 years ago, and it's not the Christ of glory. It's probably your higher self coming to give you guidance and leadership and the only only way you'll hear it because you've been brainwashed by the Bible is if it comes wearing the garbs of Jesus. So I'm telling, I'm telling you guys, so help me out. Help me out. How many people did you pastor? How many people did you lead that were really experiencing life and joy and peace? How many churches were being guided by life and joy and peace? How many, how, what was there an energy of total unconditional acceptance? Was there an energy of non-judgment? Was there an energy to bring healing, to bring a safe place and a compassionate space where people could be real? Or how many people, come on pastors, let's, let's tell the truth. How many were wearing masks? How many looked good on Sunday morning and then they were in your office on Tuesday and Wednesday and, and into things and feeling guilty and feeling ashamed because they were struggling with issues? How, how many of you were out there like that? And yet Christianity maintains its supremacy to say that you can only experience divine life and abundant life and, 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 and grace and goodness only through the person of Jesus, is a dishonoring position to other people and it's dishonoring to self. So, <laughs> I've had a preacher machine today. So here's, here's the thing I want to share with you. And I debated about sharing it, but we've got to share our testimonies. We've got to share our testimonies. This coming out of this thing is a process. Coming out of the slavery of this thing is a process. I don't want to come across like I'm anti-Christian, but I'm anti-slavery right now. And we make soul agreements. We make loyalty contracts. We make soul contracts with all kinds of earthly things. Things that exist on the lower levels of the astral planes. Egregores and thought forms that are not coming from our true and pure and highest self. We dishonor ourselves in order to honor something outside of myself. That is Christianity in a nutshell. What does Christianity teach in a nutshell? To dishonor yourself in order to honor, I think, to, to, to dishonor yourself in order to honor something outside yourself as greater. To betray yourself in order to be loyal to an entity you've never seen. To betray yourself, to be loyal to a book that is full of contradictions and flaws and various different translations of the text. Bart Ehrman, Bible scholar, unchallenged, tells us there are at least 14,000 different versions of the New Testament Manuscripts. There's 14,000 uh, inconsistencies in the manuscripts that we have. 14,000 just in the New Testament alone. And you're gonna, and I'm gonna betray myself for loyalty to that. I'm gonna betray myself. And that's what Christianity teaches. Don't be happy, glorify God. 
surrender your choices. And the other thing that we have to deal with, the other thing we have to deal with is this. So, so here's how this stuff works. There, we are connected, guys. We are connected in consciousness. There are thought currents that, that exist in the earth. We can call them memes. That is self-evident. Why is it that every Republican thinks alike, that's super conservative on the right? How come they all think alike? How come they all make the same decisions and act alike? How come people in certain religious cultures all think alike and act alike and talk alike and, and do the same kind of stuff? Because there are thought currents. We get, we get caught up in thought currents and memes and mimicking one another. And those are the things in the, in the earth plane that keeps you bound and keeps your spirit bound to this earth and prevents you truly from ascending, right? So, so we have these thought currents and these memes and they exist, if you will, on the inner planes. Now, there are also energies. Everything is energy. Everything is energy. And so people that connect with archangels, they're not connecting with a being, they're connecting with a very powerful flow of energy that has no form or name that people have connected with for centuries and they have given form and name to it in order to relate to it in this realm, in order to bring the power of that and the energy of that into this realm, in order to have a phone number, if you will, that they could dial up that energy. So Mikael, Archangel Mikael, Archangel Raphael, are those names of power are like phone numbers to dial up that energy and bring it into manifestation and pull it into your life. And the reason those names become powerful is because hundreds of thousands of people have used that and have tapped into that. And so by the law of morphic resonance, which I don't have time to go into, but, but basically Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Once he did that, more people were breaking it. The more people that broke it, the faster people got. So the more people do something, the more people accomplish something, there's a morphic resonance in the global planet that makes it easier then for others to do the same, right? So they're tapping into those energies. So once they have, but, but here's the thing, once enough people have named it and given form to it, the energy of that thing will always be in it. This is one of the hermetic principles in the Kabbalion, that, that the cause, whatever the seed is, the seed is in itself. Uh, the, the seed is in the fruit. Let's, let's look at it this way in nature. If you plant a seed, that's the initial cause that has a specific pattern that will create the, the fruit or the vegetable or the plant or, or in this case, let's say a fruit tree. It will create that according to its pattern and it will never deviate from it. And when you pluck the fruit, guess what you find? You find the seed in the fruit. So here's the thing. The pattern and the energy of the cause is always in the outcome. The, if, if there is a cause, the effect can never be separated separated from the cause and can never be separated from the energy of the cause. So here's our problem. When we worship the God of the Bible, we are worshiping a tribal war God that has behind it the energies of racism and the energies of genocide. That has within it the energies of you will be the head and not the tail. You will be above only and not beneath. You will be the lender and not the borrower. But it also has within it the energies of blood sacrifice, animal blood sacrifice. It has the energies of death. It has the energies of bloodshed. It has the energies of war because Yahweh was a warring God. And you cannot separate the effect from the cause. So when you tap into those energies and when you worship those energies and when you invite those energies into your life, you are inviting the energy of strife. You are inviting the energy of bloodshed and sacrifice. Say, oh, oh no, 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 no. That's not the New Testament. Listen, that wasn't Jesus. <coughs> Jesus never affirmed human sacrifice, the Jesus in the book. Uh, I think the Jesus, I think the Gnostics got it right about Jesus, frankly. I'm just going to come out and say that. I think they probably got it more right than the Orthodox. And you don't know those weren't the teachings of Jesus. You don't know. You're trusting people 400 years later that threw them out and had them burned, had them destroyed. You wouldn't even know the Gnostic writings if it hadn't been for a group of Egyptian mystics who defied the bishop at the time and put them in canisters and hid them in Egypt and they weren't discovered just in the last century. So you can't tell me that the Gnostics were heretics. You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> 
But I'm telling you right now that when we tie ourselves to this, we are tying, we are inviting the energies, a God whose energies are tied to bloodshed, to animal sacrifice, to racism, to one group of people being the head above all others and ruling all others, to warfare and to genocide. Those are the energies of it. And New Testament Christianity, as we know about it today, we are tying ourselves to the energies of a totalitarian being who is so egotistical and so evil and so awful that for temporal sins, he is going to punish you for all eternity with eternal conscious torment because you didn't get your history lesson right about Jesus. Because you didn't know what you were supposed to know about Jesus. Those are the energies that we are tied into. Those are the gods that we made agreements and covenants with. And the New Testament is based on human sacrifice and child abuse. In most Christian circles, the idea of the gospel is a human sacrifice. They celebrate human sacrifice in every mass in the Catholic Church. Those are the energies that we're connected to. So here's my testimony, gang, and I'm going to give it. I, 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 I had a hard time sleeping uh, several nights in a row. I would, I would get into sleep, but I'd get into kind of that floating sleep. And a couple nights ago, I just started, I started going within, and, and, and I had these visions, and I don't want to go into the details of the visions, but I'm laying there, and I had these visions, and I began to realize, I, I, just, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just began to break earthly agreements. I just began to break off earthly attachments and earthly bondages and earthly energies. And as I was doing that, things began to present, memories began to present itself. And the vast majority, in fact, all of it was connected to religion. All of it was connected to this Christianity. All of it was connected to this decision when I decided to be Yahweh's slave. When I decided to be Jesus' slave. When I decided to be a slave to the book and a slave to the Bible. And I can tell you it did not produce life-giving fruit. It did not produce peace. It did not produce joy. It did not produce lasting effects. It did not produce power. And in the last four years, I've had more fruit, more peace, more what we call the fruit of the Spirit than I ever had in charismatic Christianity, mystical Christianity, with any of the mystical groups. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of those mystical Christian groups out there, you don't know some of them like I know some of them. And their fruit stinks. And they're insecure and they lack integrity and they rob people and they curse people and they do baneful magic in the name of Jesus. And it's wrong and it needs to be called out. And they give people a spiritual inferiority complex. And I am not afraid of them. And I am not intimidated by them. And somebody needs to speak the truth. And so I start breaking these things off. I start breaking off these bondages and these agreements. Breaking covenants with groups. Uh, church covenants that I sign. Church contracts that I sign. Breaking those things off. And all of a sudden I feel and I can see in the Spirit this heavy, dark energy resting upon my chest. And as I begin to deal with, with loyalty contracts with Jesus, loyalty contracts with Christianity, loyalty contracts with Christian groups, loyalty contracts where I betrayed myself to follow the book, and I began to break those things off, this energy began to break up and began to leave. And I'm going to be really transparent. I had to get up and I had to purge in the bathroom. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> but I would purge in the bathroom and then I would go lie down and I would break these things more and then I'd have to purge again. And then I'd lay down and I'd have to get up and purge again. And you say, well, you just got sick. Well, yeah, 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 maybe. But, but, but what I began to feel, I began to feel my chakras open. I began to feel my heart chakra open. I began to feel my throat. I began to feel the liberty and the freedom that came from this. And then the intuitions and the connections because I was able to be set free from these powers that were outside of me, that were binding me and controlling me like a marionette puppet. And I was beginning to awaken the divinity that is within me, the divine spark, the divine seed, the divine essence, the extension of God that I am. And and the extension of God that you are. The offspring, the sun, the, the, the Luciferian star beginning to rise. And I felt more peace. And I felt a lightness. And I felt a freedom. And my spirit got free from the shackles of this earth. How is it I can feel more alive now 
than I did when I was in the faith? How is it I can feel more connected to God now than when I was in the faith? How is it I have more synchronicities now than when I was in the faith? How is it? How does that work? How is it that I have more freedom? How is it that I have a stronger connection to Great Spirit or Holy Spirit or whatever? Simple. Because if we're honest, and I'm, I'm going to bring this all home, if we're honest, the book doesn't work, gang. And going back to like this cardboard image of you that somebody tells you you have to be because you have to be who you are in Christ. Because listen to the energies of this. Because God can't see you as you are. God who is love, perfect love. Your creator who made you, you're so flawed, he can't see you as you really are. He has to see you through the blood. So we have to plead the blood of Jesus and we have to go through the blood. It's a bloody gospel and there are people that say yes, amen. But I'm telling you that's human sacrifice, that's blood sacrifice. Those are ancient tribal deities and archetypes and energetic systems on the inner planes that we are in bed with, that we've committed adultery with, that we've uh, adulterated our seed with, that we have sacrificed ourselves. Sacrifice the, the whole Christian gospel based on human sacrifice. Take up your cross and follow me. Sacrifice yourself to follow me. Betray yourself to be loyal to me. And I want to tell you, no, that's probably not the message of Jesus. That's probably not. Because if you go read, read the gospel of Thomas, he says, as I am, so are you in this world. The works that, I mean, he doesn't say that in Thomas, that's in the Bible, but that's the essence of the message message of the Gospel of Thomas, as I am, so are you in this world. The works that I do, you shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to the Father. Because I'm going away. And if I go away, you can't cling to me. And if I go away, it's expedient for you that I go away so you don't cling to me. Mary, don't cling to the resurrected Jesus in time and space. But let me ascend outside the realm of time and space to my Father and to my God, to your Father and to your God, so that you can discover that you are ever bit as much God as I am. So that you can discover that you are ever bit as much a son and a daughter of God as I am so that you can discover that you are ever been as much the Luciferian day star that rises in the morning the last thing Jesus said about himself so that you can discover that not only is he that but you are that and stop making him the exception make him the example stop making him the idol but make him the ideal or uh, here's a novel idea you can let go of Jesus entirely and still be wall to wall God on the inside because you are an expression of the Creator, you are an expression of the source, you are an expression of divinity. And you don't need something outside of you, and that's the problem. Because when we look outside, we are chained to lower energies of the earthly realm, and it prevents us from getting into the higher realms of the heaven, the higher regions of the Spirit, the higher reaches where we can commune with Source, where we can commune with the Creator, where we can tap into the Source energy that is deep within the wells of our own being, that well of life that John talks about, the rivers of living water that John talks about, and rise those things up from within you, the light shining within you, your will being done, and the power and the presence to bring healing to society and compassion and empathy. Because we're not exalting ourselves above the stars of God. We're not exalting ourselves above other, above, other, above other human beings. That's what religion does and that's what Christians do. And that's what the Trinity does. The Trinity says if you don't have Jesus, you don't have God. And so we're the ones that have the way. And you've got to believe like us. And it's nationalism and it's dominionism. And because it's tied to those same energies and that's why there's church splits and that's why there's as much divorce in, in, in the church as there is in quote unquote the world. That's why we don't live any better kind of lives because we're connected to those energies and we need to be set free. So let's do this right now. If you say, yes, I can see this. Yes, I understand that I am connected to these kinds of energies and I want to be set free. I want to lead you through something right now. I want to lead you through something. You can say this in your heart. You don't have to say this out loud. But if you can affirm it out loud because you need to, go ahead. But I got delivered and set free. I got this heaviness, this yuckiness, real deliverance from real quote-unquote demonic energies. I don't believe they were demonic energies. They were dark energies. They were heavy energies. They were energies of blood and racism and dominionism and elitism and judgmentalism that were still clinging to me because of covenants and agreements that I made that had to be broken off. So right there where you are, you can say this in your heart. You can say this out loud. You can say, right now, I break agreement. I break agreement with the energies of blood sacrifice. I break agreement with the energies of ancient archetypal war gods. I break agreement. 
I break agreement and covenant with anything outside myself that is tying me down. I break agreement where I, 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 I forgive myself for betraying myself in order to be loyal to something that I couldn't even see outside myself. And I break that agreement. I break that loyalty contract. I break that loyalty covenant. I break agreements with church groups and organizations that were into mind control and groupthink. I break the power off of my mind and off of my emotions and out of my spiritual energies. And right now I expel every energy that is weighing me down. Every energy that is preventing me from seeing my own star rise. I expel every dark energy of blood sacrifice and human sacrifice. And I command it to go from me and return to the source and be transmuted for the highest of all. Now, I release an impartation right now from God, true God, and from the Creator and from the upper regions of the Spirit. I release an impartation right now to set you all free from the mind control, to set you free from the energies, to expel them from your lives, to expel them from your spirits, to expel them from your beings right now. Be set free from slavery and bondage. Be set free from loyalty contracts. Be set free from the intimidation of Christian leaders who made you feel inferior. There, there are people out here right now that are listening to me that somebody in the Christian world is putting a curse on you. You've been told you were going to be cursed. And I'm going to tell you right now, we nullify that. We come together and we nullify that right now. We break that power off of your life right now. And I say it has no power. It has no power unless you give it power. The only reason it has power is because you felt spiritually inferior and you exalted that person and made them, in a sense, a king and a lord in your own life. Repent of that. Change your thinking about that. Change your mind about that. You, you are, you are, they are not superior to you. They are not superior to you. If anything, you probably have more integrity than they do. If anything, you probably have more security within yourself than they do because these guys cannot be secure within themselves. They cannot be organically just going about because they're bound to the same system. They're serving the same monster god that you and I once served. And so right now, we just put light. We just put the energy of light. We put the radiance of light. We put the radiance of love. We put the radiance of peace like a shield around everyone to protect you from those dark energies, to protect you from backlash, to protect you from curses that uh, not so well-meaning false prophet liar, phony, fake men and women of God have tried to put on you. Well, just receive that right now. Something really, something really amazing is happening. Something really amazing is happening. Just receive right there. There's an energy flowing. There's energy flowing to you right now. Healing energy. Be healed in your mind, your heart, your emotions, your spirit. I'm in some space. <laughs> it's good. So peaceful. So compassionate. So empathic. I'm just going to hold it here for a few minutes. I'm seeing some of the comments. I break agreement with energies and blood covenants in church groups. Uh, I expel everyone. Good for you. It is done. Yes. <sighs> Namaste. Yes. The divine. Those of you that don't know what Namaste means, it means the divine in me recognizes the divine in you, and I bow, I honor it. What if we could live like that? 
I just want to release just a little bit more. There's just a little bit more. I could just feel it, the energy. I just feel it so strongly. Somebody out there right now, you're being delivered. You're being set free. Sorry if this is coming across with religious garb, but I was a pastor for 25 years. Some of these habits are never going to leave me. Hope it's okay that I preached instead of just talked. Anyway, look forward to seeing the comments. Um, God bless you. Love you guys so much. Thank you for listening to me. Um, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you go through some purging uh, physically. If you get a little bit physically sick or something. Um, it's not physical. It's spiritual. Something spiritual is happening. Something powerful is happening. Awakening's happening. Um, yeah, Dave says, I speak awakening from slumber in the spirit, in the consciousness, awareness. Love that. Uh, thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> You've helped me. Let, let me just, I gotta give a shout out to Vanessa, guys. She's just been incredible for me. Um, <clears throat> Vanessa and Doug, you both have really, really helped me, Doug, uh, Wentz. Um, uh, but Vanessa challenges me, uh, in a way that very few people have, have challenged me. And, uh, and, uh, it's been really, really good. So she's helped me identify a lot of this. You'll notice there's a lot of synchronicity between really the three of us, Vanessa, Doug, myself, what we, what we're saying and putting out there. Um, but uh, anyway, couldn't do it without those people in my life. Derek Day, love you, man. You are awesome. Give me boldness to speak my truth. And I know you give lots of other people boldness to speak their truth as well. So, so many others I can mention, but uh, those were the ones I saw in today. So anyway, love you guys and uh, be blessed and namaste.